0: Great. Thank you very much. We'll keep that open. Let's pray, shall we, as we read and look at this chunk of Ecclesiastes together. Heavenly Father, we pray your Spirit will help us to read and listen and take in. Uh, enlighten us, we pray, as we look at your Word. And we pray that you'll help us to relate this by his Spirit's work in us to our own life. And work and ambitions that we may more fully honor you and seek your kingdom. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, Barry, a week goes by without money being in the news in some way. Um, so I saw this week that uh, tragically nearly 90% of people in Venezuela are now living in poverty. Nearly 90%, extraordinary. And then in contrast, Jeff Bezos, the head of Amazon, is now worth over a hundred billion dollars. He's in the Forbes Rich List, the richest person currently in the world. And then, of course, there was that tragic helicopter accident in Leicester last week. It just reminded us so quickly, didn't it, of how suddenly any of our lives can end and how unexpectedly. And here is the teacher. That's what the word Ecclesiastes means. The the writer, the teacher of this book Uh, may be the famous and very, very successful King Solomon. The teacher is summarizing here what the first half of this book has been about. Chapters 1 through to chapter 6, verse 9. That's the halfway point here. And particularly about this theme of wealth or wealth and work. Now, he's already said in chapter 1 that things like wealth and work are, are short-lived, uh, very brief, transient things. In fact, the whole life is, is a transient thing. Uh, he used the word uh, back in chapter 1. Uh, in Hebrew, the word is, is hevel. i just put it up there again um, because it's a hard word to translate. This version, which is usually very good, translates it as meaningless all the way through the, the book. That's maybe not the most helpful way to translate it. It's got more the sense... of of how life and work are short-lived, like breath or vapor. Here one moment, gone the next. Um, So it's not a um, a metaphysical, philosophical term. It's really about how short our lives, our human existences are, like vapor, like breath. Uh, And the teacher in this section is really zooming in now on what work what labor, what wealth really count for in human existence. And what he says here it's actually the, the most worked through section about the topic of work and wealth in the whole of the Bible, actually. What he says here, he repeats himself in different ways. So we're going to gather what he says in three headings... Um, they're on the screen for you, and they're kind of working out from the two ends of our reading towards the middle where we finish. So, wealth deceives, first of all, from the first bit and the last bit. If you want the, the verses, they're on the screen if you're taking notes. Wealth disappears, so that's the, the two little cameos, the two stories about um, people that the teachers observed. And then in the, in the center, the end of chapter 5, wealth and work can Delight. So you can see we're starting, shall we say realistic, quite pessimistic in a way, but we're ending much more positive. So, wealth deceives. Beginning of our reading, chapter 5, verse 10. Whoever has money never has enough, and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless or short-lived, temporary, transient. Now, our culture drives us to think deep down that wealth is what really counts, that wealth will make us happy, that wealth is something that's going to last forever. And and when you you get that new phone, uh, the iPhone 5, 6, 7, 8, whatever it's going to be next, how quickly that phone's out of date and you need a new one. That's the way that our culture is training us, that you always need the new thing, the bigger thing, the better thing, the shinier thing. Uh, You just get a pay rise, and as soon as you get that, you start buying more stuff with your money, so you need more money. You need another pay rise. Whoever has money never has enough, says the teacher. Uh, Famously, the very wealthy John D. Rockefeller once said, when someone asked him, how much money does it take to be happy? He famously said, just a little bit more. That's exactly what the teacher is saying in verse 10. And that's the first reason. We're actually going to pick out all together, in our first two headings seven seven kind of little quick summary points about why wealth is so tempting, so deceptive, and so um, transient as well. There's the first one in verse 10. The more you have, the more you want. That's the kind of simple principle. The more you have, the more you want. The second one is in the next verse, verse 11. As goods increase so do those who consume them. It seems to be that the teacher is saying here um, that the more you have, the more you find people that you end up having to support financially. He may be saying uh, that your family grows, you have mouths to feed at home, children. He may be saying, when people hear that you've got lots of money, you suddenly find you have lots of friends that want to get to know you and benefit from your money. Um, So... Either way, you know, whether whether it's just families growing or whether it's you've won the lottery and you've suddenly got lots of friends. The principle number two, the second danger with money is this, that the more you have, the more other people want it. The Third danger is in verse 12. The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, the rich man or woman, his or her abundance permits them no sleep. It's not clear there if this is the principle that when you have lots of investments, business portfolios, properties to look after, you you have so much stress and worry you can't sleep at night, or simply because you've stuffed your belly so much you physically can't sleep. You're kind of rolling over in your bed unable to digest that food. But it's the same principle either way, isn't it? Here's our our third simple principle here in verse 12, that the more you have, the more you worry. The more you have, the more you worry. And then we're going to jump just now to the end of our reading, chapter 6, and verses 7 to 9. The teacher also talks about the appetite for satisfaction, the desire for wealth. That's the particular thing here. Wanting more money. He said, everyone's toil is for their mouth, and yet their appetite's never satisfied. We've kind of seen that already. Always wanting more, however much we stuff ourselves with. Then he says in verse 9, the conclusion, better what the eyes see, seems to mean there, better what's actually under your nose, what you have already got, in other words, what's in your hand, we might say, than the roving of the appetite. It's almost like the kind of, what we would say, um, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. It's better to have and enjoy what you have than always be wanting what you don't have. So that's our fourth simple principle. The more you want, sorry, stick it up on the screen if we could. The more you want, the more, thank you, the more you want, the more unhappy you are. So be happy with what you have, because the minute you start desiring other stuff, you will not be happy. Now, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 and 25, that we cannot love both God and money. And that's really what the teacher's saying hundreds of years before Jesus here. If you try and love money, and then try and shoehorn God in somewhere... You will not be happy. In fact, you physically cannot do that. You must, he says. Not you should love God, not, but you cannot love God and money. It's not just foolish to try. It's impossible. You cannot love both God and money. And if you love money, as we've seen, um, the more you have, the more you want. The more you have, the more people want it. The more you have, the more you worry. And the more you want, the more unhappy you are. So do you get the sense of the teacher here? He's saying, isn't he, very clearly... And I think very importantly for you and me in our materialist culture, don't go that way. It will not satisfy you. Uh, There's a painting um, by a a Belgian artist, I think, which is called The Moneylender and His Wife. And it captures what Jesus was saying about you cannot love God and money. Because um, on the left there, there's the moneylender, and he's counting his coins. He's got a lovely, shiny coin in his hand. He's clearly doing pretty well in business and uh, looking to expand. And there on, the, on the, other, the right is his wife, who she's actually got a, a Bible open. And she's trying to read the Bible. She's trying to love God, as it were. But can you see what's happening? She's distracted, isn't she, by that shiny coin in her husband's hand. And that's the artist just telling the story, really, that, that you cannot love God and money. You've got to choose one or the other. If it's going to be money, make it money. But it won't make you happy. But if it's going to be God, make it God. And don't be distracted. So, what a vital warning the teachers give us tonight. That money deceives. Don't trust it. Don't love it. Don't invest yourself in it. Don't follow it. And it's a good message. I think this book is particularly written for for young people, for students, for young adults. As we're, as you are beginning your lives and The future's opening up. You will have employers saying to you, come and work for us, we'll pay you zillions. As if that's what life is all about. Um, You'll have adverts pushing you the whole time to buy that stuff, buy those clothes, buy that car, and you'll be happy. And the teacher's saying, be very, very careful. Watch out for that message. It's a lie. Wealth deceives as Paul says, I swear, the love of money—not money, but the love of money—is the root of all kinds of evil. So that's the first big thing: money deceives, wealth deceives. And why not this week to help you and me to be set free from, from that constant appetite? Why not do something generous this week to set your heart free? Ask, ask God to help you to do that—to maybe to give something to someone, lend something to someone that's valuable to you, give it away. That was a way of saying, I don't want wealth to deceive me. Second main heading, wealth disappears. So this is the two cameos that the teacher gives us here, in chapter 5 and then in chapter 6. He introduces them with that phrase, I have seen. I've seen a grievous evil, a terrible thing. Then he tells a story about someone he's watched. First one is here in chapter 5, verse 13. Verse 13. The teacher turns to an example. I've seen a grievous evil. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners or wealth lost through some misfortune so that when they have children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. See the basic point there? Wealth can disappear in a moment. A bad business investment, uh, a tragedy, can leave a millionaire in poverty and their children destitute. The principle here is it can be here today and, you know the saying, gone tomorrow, here today, gone tomorrow. That's wealth. That's how fragile, transient it is. It disappears. So here's warning number five, just sort of unpacking that in a simple way, about the love of money, that the more you have, the more you have to lose. It can be gone in a moment. To explain that more, the teacher then talks about the beginning and end of human life. A very graphic language about our coming, our birth, and our going, our death. The two fixed dates in our lives. He says, everyone comes naked from their mother's womb. Everyone comes naked, and as as they come, so they depart. In other words, you and I take nothing with us, do we? You can't take this stuff with you. It's going to disappear one day, if not today in a tragedy, then tomorrow at your funeral. As we come, so we depart. Whether your life is long or short, whether you're rich or poor, you leave as you came in with nothing other than your, your soul, your character, your faith. Again, there's a famous story of a crowd lining the way for a rich person's funeral Uh, And as the shiny hearse came alongside, with this silver gilt coffin inside the hearse, one woman turned to the person next to her and said, do you know how much he left? How much did he leave? And she said, everything. That's what the teacher's saying, isn't it? As we came, so we depart. We leave everything. Everything. And that's warning number six about the love of money. That The more you have, the more you have to lose. And the more you have, the more you leave behind. The more you leave behind. So in that sense, there is no point, is there, in accumulating this stuff. Because I've got to leave it one day. If I don't lose it in the meantime, I'll leave it all one day. It's a great reminder, isn't it, for you and me. uh, As we have this illusion in our modern world that with diet and health and modern science we can live forever the teacher says no 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 remember life is short it's gone in a moment and when it when it's gone you and i will leave everything jesus told a story about a rich fool didn't he who built do you remember the story bigger barns didn't he He made such and he made bigger barns and he filled them and then he made more and he built bigger barns and do you remember how the story ends one night, to kind of paraphrase in modern language, um, he drops dead of a heart attack. What did he leave behind? Well, everything. He took nothing. And Jesus called him a, not a fabulous guy, a fool. Because he lived only for his money. So it disappears in a moment. And verse 70 is a great little verse, and it? it describes a kind of classic grumpy old man, doesn't it? Um, This man that's living in darkness and angry. He may have lots of money, but he's got no love. He's got no purpose, no meaning in his life. A dark, frustrated, angry existence. So that's the kind of first cameo, isn't it? This thing that that, um, you can't take it, you've got to leave it. You could lose it in a moment. It disappears. Then in chapter 6, we go into it like a second cameo, a second example from life. I've seen another evil, chapter 6, verse 1. It weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor. So they lack nothing their heart's desire, but God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them. And strangers enjoy them instead. A man may have a hundred children, live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and doesn't receive proper burial, I say that a stillborn child, this is very powerful language, a stillborn child, what a tragedy that is, is better off than he. What a bold thing to say. It's better not to have lived, he's saying, isn't he? Better not to have lived than to have lived an empty life with lots of stuff but no reason for having any of it. The lack of proper burial may be a sign, by the way, that he's either disgraced by something he's done... Um, or certainly his family have disowned him we don't really know there but see the tragedy here you could have money coming out of your ears but no power to enjoy what you have we might say to be grateful for it to share it and your life is empty so much so it's better not to have lived at all what a tragic picture that is what is more frustrating in human life than having lots of things but having no idea how to enjoy them? I will see what that means, by the way, more deeply in a moment. But what a tragedy this, this man is. The stillborn child, the wealthy man, uh, they may have very different lifespans, one just a few moments in the womb, the other perhaps decades, but in the end, they're just the same. They have nothing. And at least, says the teacher, the stillborn child has been spared the frustration of living an empty life. So that's our final, our seventh warning about the love of money that the more you have, the more tragic it is if you cannot enjoy it. I think the teacher here is so helpful for us today again, for young people, we can talk about this at Digging Deeper later, but in a culture where we think that we are somehow entitled to a comfortable lifestyle, especially in this, this wealthy West we live in, this middle-class culture many of us live in, that, that hard work should, should earn us the right to a comfortable life. That if misfortune comes our way, somehow God's let us down, we shouldn't be made redundant. We shouldn't struggle to find a job sometimes. We shouldn't wonder where to to make ends meet next month. And God does provide for his people, but he doesn't promise to shield us from tragedy, from hardship, from misfortune. And wealth for all of us will disappear one day when we die. We don't need that stuff the other side of the grave. It's just a reality, isn't it, about life and about money. That we would do well, very well, to really think about. In a culture that idolizes long life today, you know, with our fitness machines and our diet regimes, that we can live a bit longer, please will you hear the wisdom of the teacher tonight that life is in the end short. That as we came, we will, all of us, one day depart. Please listen to the wisdom of what he's saying there and plan your life live your life in the light of that for what matters for what's eternal it's better to have lived with little but have the love of God than to have lived with much and have had an empty life so you'll be pleased to know we're now done with the two quite hard bits of teaching from the teacher. We've now seen that wealth deceives us, and that's a reality. Wealth is also something that disappears in a moment. Let's now be more positive and look at the last section about wealth and work. And here's the positive thing, that these things can delight us as well. Verses 18 to 20 of chapter 5. Because we're asking, aren't we, well, is there a way... If we listen to his wisdom to avoid being like that angry old man of verse 17. And the answer is yes, there is. Verse 18, this is what I've observed, to be good. That it's appropriate, actually the word there is simply it's good again. It's good for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God's given them. He's not being negative there. He's saying, in the short life we all have, It's good if we can enjoy these things. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. He finishes off by saying, verse 20, that uh, this person, he or she, they're so content in God in what he gives that they seldom reflect, he says, on on the days of this life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. We don't think too much, if this is us, about how short, how frustrating life sometimes is in this fallen world, and it is because we're so full of gladness of what God has given. Here's the positive spin on work and wealth. The teachers hinted at these things before a couple of times, but here is really unpacking it. Life may be short, but it can also be fulfilling if we know God. Life and work... Can bring satisfaction if I do them not for me, not for more, but for my Maker. If I have the double gift from God. You see, there are two gifts he's talking about here in this little section the gift of good things from God. All good things, says James, come from heaven. And secondly, the gift of the power. To enjoy them. By which he, he doesn't simply mean the, the, the ability to drive a sports car at high speed and enjoy the, the thrill of that. That may be thrilling, I don't know. He means the ability to, to be grateful for what we've received. To, to put it in its context in life. To share it with others, which is what these things are meant for. To live life and the good things as God means. Double gift. Double gift. Good things, the power to enjoy them. So the positive words that he's been sharing in this uh, little section, they really pile up, don't they? These are positives from the teacher. He says all these things here. I've observed this to be good. Life can be good. It is good, he says, to eat and drink and be satisfied. God gives good things. And God gives also, we've seen, the ability to enjoy good things All this, he says, is a gift of God. How much giving and goodness is in those few verses? And then he says, God fills that person with so much gladness of heart that they almost forget the tough realities of life at the same time. Joy is found only when we first know God the giver. Now, it's not a good thing, as the Bible keeps reminding us to worship the gifts instead of the giver, We so often get that confused and we think about all the good things we have and we focus on them, we love them, we idolize them because we've forgotten the second gift we need which is remembering the giver. Enjoying these things as gifts. as not things that I deserve or am owed but as gifts from a good giving God. So again if you're taking notes now uh, do just jot this down, 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 to 10. It really does seem as if Paul in 1 Timothy is reflecting on the teaching here of Ecclesiastes, because this is what he says, 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Contentment. That's the attitude of heart, the gift that we in our culture so need to learn. To ask God to train us in. Contentment. Grateful for what we have. And released from the appetite, the desire to have more. We're called to contentment. And anything else the teacher's been saying than being content will make us unhappy, will leave us unsatisfied, joyless, whether actually we're rich, because rich people can be uncontented too, or poor. So why not again this week, just train, ask God to train your heart and mind to be grateful in every moment, every day. Start your prayers, perhaps, each time you pray this week, with thanks for the simple things, perhaps, and the big things. The answered prayers, the little gifts, the friendships, the relationships, the love. And if that's us, we then become like the person here at the end of chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes. Happy in my work and heart full of joy and gladness. And just one last kind of thought on how this relates to us today. What about God's family? I think there's a call here to be generous as God's family because what he says to individuals applies to us as God's people too, I think. When he says to us, you are very foolish if you hoard money, that's a good message for a church too, isn't it? Let's not hoard money. Let's be generous with what God's given us. Let's share it. Let's not envy churches who have more than we have, but let's see what we can do to be grateful for what we do have, and to give it, to share it with our brothers and sisters. Remembering how short this life is, but how glorious eternity in the kingdom is in comparison. So as I wrap up now, uh, forward again to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul celebrates there the hope we have in the resurrection of Jesus. He says, without the resurrection... Everything is pointless. Everything is vain. Everything's empty. Life is indeed short. Now, Ecclesiastes stops short of preaching the resurrection. As it were, he leaves that for Jesus, for the New Testament, for Corinthians. But the New Testament delights to remind us about it. And Paul is saying, Look, we may leave this life, this short life, naked with nothing. That is true. But in Christ. Our souls, our bodies, enter resurrection life for eternity. And so, Paul says, coming back to today, in light of the resurrection, eternal life, live this life, do your work, knowing that your day job may sometimes bring satisfaction. It's a blessing if it does. But also knowing that your work for the Lord, you're sharing the gospel with brothers and sisters, with those that don't yet know Jesus. Your labor in the Lord, he says, is bringing salvation. Not just satisfaction, but salvation to others. Your labor on earth may be short-lived, but your labor, your work in the Lord is not empty, not in vain. Let's pray. So, Lord, we pray that you will help us each to hear your challenge tonight from the teacher, to recognize honestly how deceptive wealth is, how our hearts are so drawn to it, to recognize honestly also how short our lives are and how whatever we own disappears in a moment. But we thank you for the good gifts you give, for the good God that you are, And give us the wisdom, we pray, to live grateful for what you give, sharing it with others. And above all, to live working not just for what this world can give, but working for eternity. Laboring in the Lord, sharing the good news of Jesus and of his resurrection with all who will listen. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.